today. Champions League, Manchester teams through to last 16. United overcome young boys on the field and a small child on the sideline, while City, like a man at a Richard Curtis film, go home disappointed by the corny finish. For Spurs and Liverpool, meanwhile, the future is still uncertain. We look at the hows, the whys and how many's. Then, Sunday's triple derby drama from Merseyside to West London to North London. We've got all the stats you need to know and share with your friends. There's stiff opposition in Ireland, Seoul and the Silkman and so much more in this edition of the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And in the pod today... BT Gold Show's very own Julien Laurent. Hello, guys. Put down your pad, your iPad. I was reading Just, something very interesting. What is it? It's on the Premier League, but I'll tell you. Will you tell us in the course of the podcast? Yes, exactly. Woohoo! Woo. Uh, also here, an author of the answer to your Christmas list questions, Do You Speak Football? Terrific book. Tom Williams. Hello, James. And in from Opta... It is Duncan Alexander. Hi, James. Are you brimming with numbers and crazy stats, yeah, Duncan? Overflowing. Are you? Yeah, are no, you? literally, I am overflowing with numbers. Crikey. Painful. All right. Champions League happened Tuesday, Wednesday. Amongst the many other delights this week has offered, who's through? I can tell you. 12 teams now qualified, actually. Three from La Liga. Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Three from the Bundesliga. So that's an improvement on last year. Do you remember how they were an absolute shower, the German sides? This time we've got Bayern, Dortmund and Schalke all through to the last 16. You've got your two Premier League sides, Man United and Man City. Two from City out, Roma and Juventus. Ajax and Porto. And then seven teams still in with a shot. Tom, Inter, Lyon, Napoli, PSG, Shakhtar Donetsk, Liverpool and Spurs. It's going to be a tense final match today, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, there are some there are some nicely poised groups. I think we were hoping for this when we had the draw. You had those two potential groups of death, mm. the Spurs-Barca intergroup and then the PSG-Napoli-Liverpool group, and they've lived up to expectations, I think yeah. it's fair to say. Bridstar, I think, still in with a shout in that group as well, are they not? Uh, Europa League. Only Europa League. Only Europa yeah, League. Yeah. Good. Right. Can we begin with Paris Saint-Germain-Liverpool? Yes, we can. It was... Probably the game that got top billing prior to kickoff, and there was certainly a lot to talk about. A 2 1 victory for the Parisians. A lot of ill feeling uh, for Liverpool among Liverpool fans. Tony Barrett, PSG's physio, has covered more yards than James Milner. Suggestions that perhaps the likes of Neymar were milking the occasion and the referee's attention. But, uh, Duncan, as you pointed out, Liverpool might first of all like to think about having more than one shot on target in 180 minutes of football in Naples and Paris. Yeah, for me, that's the way to score goals, traditionally. And, I mean, their away form in the Champions League this year has been really, really bad. But this is a team that last year, you know, the three front the front three basically scored 30 goals between them, which is unheard of. Um, and they just look really blunt. Um, and yet, they're still, you know, they're at home in the last game with a chance, uh, a pretty good chance, you'd think, of getting through. They certainly are. Dan Billingham asks a little tactical question here. Has Liverpool's newfound defensive stability somehow come at the cost of the old blood and thunder in Europe? What, what, yeah, what I, defensive stability in the Champions League. Okay, they considered seven goals in five games. Well, he that's, actually that's said not... in the Premier League, but I left that uh, out. I, I, I think that's the issue with Liverpool. And I think we saw that last night against PSG. Liverpool's midfielders are not pressing the same way that they did last season for whatever reason it appears to be an instruction from Jurgen Klopp because that's been a feature of the way they've played all season I think that was something we saw last night was that when PSG were playing the ball out from the back Marquinhos was dropping in between the centre-backs from midfield to give PSG an extra man Um, and once they got through the first wave of the Liverpool press there was no one 
in behind when Aldham Henderson and Milner weren't following it up. And I think that was one of the issues. And I, yeah, I think there is something in that. Liverpool seem to be like deliberately playing within themselves a little bit. They're not the same sort of madcap blood and thunder team they were last season. But then last season that was that was their big strength. And on on the one hand, domestically, it means that they're not really conceding any goals. They've only let five goals in all season. But mm. as Jules said, in Europe, it's problematic because they're playing superior opposition and they don't look like the same team they were last season mm. What's the take been on, on, on this game in Paris Jules? It's been very positive obviously Thomas Tuchel said after the game that was the last chance that his team had to play as a team and I think that was the big thing that he would take from the game and that a lot of people have taken is that finally they played as a team and not just as 11 individuals and I think it was quite obvious even at the start of the second half when you know, they, they were not on top of that game where Liverpool played better, although not creating anything, but still played better and put a bit of pressure on. They stayed they stayed as a team and they stayed together. And I think that was the big difference. But the lack of intensity from Liverpool, I think, was a big surprise to, to the PSG players and to Thomas Tuchel. Mm. And I have to say, Jurgen Klopp's tactical choices, or lack of them, maybe, I'm not sure. But to start the young love run in a game like this and Joe Gomez at right back clearly looked like a, a mistake. I think not having Trent Alexander-Arnold... Uh, cost Liverpool um, and particularly when you saw the way that PSG were lined up with PSG basically played with a 4-4-2 um, uh, with Neymar wide left which is a, a pretty unusual position for him and you'd think that had he been up against Trent Alexander-Arnold he would have had to spend more time going back towards his own goal which is something we know he doesn't like doing as it was I thought he defended a lot more Neymar last night than he does ordinarily but he was up against Joe Gomez who although he can play at, at fullback isn't really a fullback and mm. uh, I think that played into, into PSG's hands a little bit because it meant that Neymar although he he did show greater defensive implication than usual he wasn't he wasn't having to put up with a really attack minded fullback on his side yeah, Neymar certainly playing flat out a lot a lot of the the game because you know he was lost on really, his back one of his best performances I know there was a play yeah. and a lot of Liverpool fans were not happy and well, clearly yeah, some actually asking on Twitter you know Jules uh, is this not a tremendously unlikable team is that do you think there, no, but you don't choose the team you, I mean I'm, I'm from there I went to the same when I was five they were they had no Neymar at the time I'm mm. not going to not like them anymore because Neymar plays and they bought Neymar and Kylian Mbappe I, I can see the frustration if you were watching that shouldn't hide the fact that Liverpool were dreadful on the night. They were really poor. Right. And, and they here's, had... here's, here's something positive about Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, yeah, no, but I understand the frustration of no, Liverpool no, fans. Gonna, I'm not saying, yeah. but... No, so here's something positive about Paris Saint-Germain. They are, they are enabling one of football's last great fairy tales to live on a little bit longer. Gigi Buffon, <laughs> everyone's favourite. And the only thing he never won was the uh, Champions League. We all thought that the dream had died at the hands of bad old Real Madrid last summer. But maybe... Just maybe. Well, did you see the way that he celebrated at the end? I was really struck by sort of the, the how emotional PSG's players seemed to be. And you saw that throughout the game. And there was that, that slightly peculiar moment midway through the second half when Marquinhos and Thiago Silva yeah. celebrated uh, a successful bit of defending with a, a chest bump yeah. um, just the other side of the byline. And it, it reminded me a bit of, of, I think, Juventus the season before last when they got to the, the Champions League final and they would, you know, a lot of their performances were based on that sort of defensive solidity. And it, it struck me that PSG were almost trying to send out a bit of a message that yes they can dig in like Jules was saying they can play as a team and that, that there is grit there and I think Thiago Silva sort of summed that up quite a lot the way he played yeah. Duncan have you got a stat about Gigi Buffon 
He well, the curious thing with Buffon is he's only seven and a half years younger than Paris Saint Germain themselves. Um, it's quite rare for a goalkeeper to be so close in age to a football club. Um, I worked out that it would be the equivalent of Sheffield Wednesday playing Fatty Fulk this weekend, the old <laughs> massive Victorian goalkeeper. Him. Yeah, I mean, it's unlikely to play because he died in 1916. But Although events in Ireland this week suggest that it's not impossible. Precisely. Yeah. We'll come on to that story later on. OK, as you mentioned, Duncan, it is still very much in Liverpool's hands. They're going to be facing Napoli next at Anfield. If they beat Napoli, as long as it's not by two goals to one or three goals to two or four goals to three or something, they go through. And if Liverpool win and PSG draw, no matter what the score line is then Liverpool top the group. PSG will be away at Red Star, which, you know, is not a gimme by any means. PSG don't have the best of records on the road. Napoli, the group leaders for now, after their 3-1 win at home to Red Star, possibly the, the worst place of the three teams vying for... It's just it's just the way you're going to approach that game at, at Liverpool. That's, you know, you, 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 you can go and try to win it, but you don't really need to win it. To, to go through right. but if you play to try to get a draw it's the best way probably to not even draw the game and, and ending up losing it and you also know that Liverpool will put a lot of well you expect them a lot of intensity and will go forward a lot so there would surely be room on the counter-attack for Napoli as well I think I have to say I've been very very disappointed by Jurgen Klopp's tactics through, through the whole this whole Champions League group stage I think Ancelotti outsmarted him big time in, in, in Naples in that game Arthur Tuchel last night he never adapted to we knew exactly that's the thing with club you know exactly what you're going to get you knew he was going to play that 4-3-3 how come Shakiri, who's probably has been Liverpool's best players in the last few weeks was the last one to come on after 77 minutes when you already you were two goals down after 24 or something like that and I just I just don't understand what he did with his substitution and I, and I just think he doesn't he didn't respond yesterday to what Tuchel did tactically, like he didn't respond against Ancelotti back in Naples either. And I just wonder what's going to happen because Carlo Ancelotti will have a proper plan for that game at Liverpool. And, and surely Klopp needs to come up with something to make sure that his team win that game. Interesting. I personally think Liverpool will go through. What will happen, though, for the other spot? I'm not so sure because PSG's chances of wet red star are anything but clear-cut to me. What about Spurs? We'll talk about them next. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Spurs, Tom. At times they can seem a little bit like that big stadium they're building. Forever a, a work in progress. But hey, signs that actually something very nice is coming together. This pivotal week that they're in the midst of. As we said, it could well prove to be the turning point of their season. And it's it's shaping up that way. Chelsea beaten, Inter beaten... And then the North London derby coming up. But wh- what did you take from their 1-0 win over Inter at Wembley? Yeah, well, that's six wins on the spin for Spurs now. And obviously coming off the back of that that Chelsea game when they produced their best performance of the season by some distance. Um, and it's reminded me a little bit of the group stage that Man City had in the Champions League a few seasons ago when they were basically on the brink of elimination halfway through. Because Spurs had had that terrible start, you know, losing against Inter, losing against Barca, letting in that late equaliser away at PSV. But since then, they've turned it around. Um, two late goals in the home game against PSV uh, and then uh, beating Inter last night with Christian Eriksen coming on and and doing a business after another trademark surge from Musa Sissoko. And yeah, it kind of feels like in the space of the last few weeks, Spurs have, have kind of put some of the early season doubts behind them. 
Um, and you know you'd fancy them to have a, a good go at Arsenal in the derby and then yeah ordinarily going away to Barcelona uh, and getting a result is not something that you'd back most teams to pull off but Barca are already qualified yep. as group winners they'll rest players um, and Spurs need to match Inter's result against PSV to go through and I That's think on true. current form I think you'd back them to do it okay should probably point out that only one uh, English team has ever won away at Barcelona in the Champions League, which was Arsenal, Liverpool, Liverpool, oh, and the John Arnarisa, Craig Bellamy golf oh, right, swing okay. special, as it's known. So what you're nice. saying is Spurs need to engineer some sort of internal feuding between key players. Yeah, they need to pick two players who to fall out, right. and then it's all good. Well, mm-hmm. Barca did beat Spurs four-two when they last met. But, Jules, you saw their performance against PSV yesterday. They'd already qualified before that match even started. And, and it's fair to say they didn't have anything like the normal intensity. No, and they, were, they had a lot of players missing. No Suarez, no Arthur, no Sergio Roberto either. They were not on their A game at all. And yet, you pass the ball to Messi and he's just capable of doing a bit of magic. And, and that, that was enough. I mean, they, by the way... Um, Messi and Pique after the game, uh, well, Messi especially revealed that he miskicked his free kick. Oh, really? Yeah, and that so was it not, wasn't a training ground. It was not a training so ground. The, the, that was the second goal. Yeah, the second goal, which, which is Pique f- reacts tremendously quickly to. Incredible, though. yeah, like a proper striker goal. It's fantastic the way Pique scores that goal. But yeah, after the game, uh, Messi revealed that. Right. Just in case we thought like. Was the first goal a miskick as well when he fashions that? It's incredible. I mean, if you look at it, the way he controls the ball with the outside of his left foot and then he's inside and then he's outside and then he's inside, but the pace of it and then to pick the near post instead of the usually you curl it over to the far post, it's just incredible. There's about six or seven people from both teams standing in front of him and somehow he divines a trajectory that. that, I don't know if you saw. Would have been invisible to anybody else. In the games against Atletico Madrid at the weekend, he nutmegs Felipe Luis when the ball is in the air and he controls it. And if you look at it on slow motion, it's incredible how he reacts to it to do it when I'm not sure that's what he wants to do originally. Yeah, he brings the ball down through the legs. It's Uh, incredible. He's almost like gone up to a higher plane in the last couple of weeks which is handy for Barcelona because as you said Jules they're not playing brilliantly I mean PSV recorded a XG figure over three in uh, really? last night's game which is the first time Barcelona have conceded that in any match this season really? so, yeah, I mean they, that, they were pretty lucky to get a result in that game they hit the woodwork three Barca. times PSV yeah. in the first half so w- what do you think then Spurs with a chance uh, yeah I think Barca, Barcelona are a different team at home though even if they already threw even if they already Topping the group, I think it's you know you never want to lose at home. So I'm not sure how much rotation Valverde is going to make. I'd be surprised if Messi doesn't play, for example. I mean, Pochettino as a as an Espanol man will yeah. be will be fired up for this, I think. And yeah, I think I think they can do it. And also, I mean, that game against Chelsea, we had Kane, Eriksen, Ali, and Son starting a game together for the first time this season, and that mm. had passed me by a bit that they'd not managed to get those four players on the pitch at the kickoff desk. together. The desk, Deli Ali, Ericsson, Son, and Kane. The desk, as the desk. we're now calling them. Spurs fans. Nice. Are. Oh, is that, is that what they call them? That's what they the call desk, them. The desk, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. the desk is is back in the Can room. We put I guess a few desks with Sissoko at the end. Desks, so desks. hot desks. Nice. So anyway, but yeah, but that's not how they started against Inter. But it was how they were playing when they finally got the winner. 
Yes, um, and I think it just shows, and it's 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 not a particularly insightful thing to say, but when you get those four players on the pitch. Spurs are a different prospect, and you know, obviously, they started the season with Lucas Moura, who played very well. His form has since tailed off a bit, and Eric Lamella starts occasionally. Um, but yeah, I think Spurs look at their best when you've got those four, and particularly now that Musa Sissoko is having this spectacular resurgence. I mean, set you know, basically made the winner for Ericsson last night, albeit with a pass from Deli Ali in between. Um, they're looking pretty good. Tuesday night belonged to Manchester City, who once again had problems with a pacey, exciting Leon side, but still qualified. A Man United who scraped a last-minute 1-0 win at home to young boys with a goal that should have been chalked off for handball. It is actually United's first goal at home in the competition, resolving a match that had looked like going the same way as that Valencia game at Old Trafford not long ago. 21 shots for Man United only four on target. One person ensured that he dominated coverage afterwards thanks to his touchline tantrum and it wasn't the goal scorer or De Gea who had that wonderful save. Let's talk about them though. It was a handball, wasn't it? It was handball. I'm not sure that it was entirely deliberate. What are you saying? I think he brings his hand to the ball, controls it. You're telling me that that Marouane Fellaini has a presence of mind in that sort of situation. He's not. Cleverly just punch the ball into his... I think his big gangly arms were flapping around and one of them happened to knock the ball into his path and serendipitously it it bounced nicely. I'm I'm not having him down as some great Machiavellian handballer. That's He's not to that speak kind about of player. Manchester United's best signing of the decade. But um, it's quite apt that he did handball it because it means he's now gone level with Diego Maradona for European Cup goals. So that's a nice little landmark for, for big Marouane. You were very big this week, Duncan, on uh, in, 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 a, in a Twitter sense, on uh, players who have now scored the same number of goals mm. as illustrious players of the past. It's fertile terrain, I have to say. Yeah. Um, Maradona, poor Maradona chap, didn't had, feature in many. At the time he was playing in Europe, they had... Well, it's there was no group stages, you know, it's unfair. There was no group stages, there was like a game. It's actually unfair on Fellaini because Maradona at least got to play for a team who'd won the league, so think about it like that. Oh. There is that, OK. What about De Gea then? OK, the World Cup was not, you know, was not his best competition at all and even this season at times he hasn't been maybe in the form that he showed all around last season. But that's say something else. He doesn't, he doesn't see the ball you know, he doesn't see the shot, he doesn't see the ball coming, there's a couple of deflections, and yet he goes and he's behind him and he still stretches and, and get it, it's incredible. For me, there was another save in the same group that night, which at Chesney's, yeah. home to Valencia, that was perhaps even better, that the speed of his reaction to get a hand up to that, I can't remember whose strike yes, it was. Yes, it's the header from Mukhtar Jakabi at Valencia. Okay. And Chesney just gets a fist up to it. Yeah, Alisson does a similar one yesterday against Marquinhos as well. Okay, okay. There is, I mean, there's long been a kind of curious phenomenon of players who weren't very reliable at Arsenal, who have actually become very, very good elsewhere. Chesney's one, Fabianski clearly has become one. I think you can see signs of it with Ospina at Napoli too. And the the revelations from uh, Chesney and Fabianski, did you see this, this interview? Jerry Payton, yeah. Yeah, of, of the kind of preparation they were given. Uh, go with your gut feeling and a video they were shown just yeah. with a, a five minutes of Chesney mistakes at the end of which Jerry <laughs> delivered the lesson see you're not perfect there's a good one on um, Eden Hazard's penalties as well oh yeah yeah he pushed the ball on the opposite side of where you dive <laughs> excellent <laughs> excellent so anyway so uh, yeah it was nice to see Chesney uh, rediscovering his form but uh, let's talk then about Man United because they won, but there's very little positive to take from that performance. 
Yeah, I mean, like you said, had Fellaini not scored, um, that would have been three successive home games in the Champions League without a goal for, for United the first time ever. for the first time ever. Um, I mean, they were played off the park by Juventus at home, which you might expect. They were dreadful against Valencia and they were pretty poor against young boys. I mean, they did seem to make quite a lot of chances. Mm. Um, I mean, Marcus Rashford had a couple, squandered yeah. a couple, but thankfully he's got a really sympathetic manager who wouldn't dream of making an issue of something like that um, and pulling a face on the touchline. I know it's something we touch on a lot, but players improving or indeed going backwards. When you look at Man United, is there a single player there who has improved in their current in, under the current direction, I mean, th- Jesse, there are, Jesse Lingard is the only one. Yeah, there are players who've sort of come through the kind of like Mourinho furnace of hate um, and and got better. But you kind of feel like it's it's in spite of of the way he's treated them rather than because of you like Luke like Shaw, it's, Martial. It's like, yeah. what, it's, what about Luke? But, but he's just playing. I mean, it's like Lukaku. I'm not sure. Luke, I mean, I, I, Wait, Lukaku I, seems to be going backwards. I, I thought Lukaku developed as a footballer last season. I think one of the things that he gets or that he would get accused of quite a lot at Everton was that his hold-up play wasn't very good. His first touch wasn't very good. And mm. I thought, I thought he definitely developed in that in those respects last season. This season, he does seem to have gone backwards. And this is after a successful World Cup. I thought he was probably the best centre forward at the World Cup mm. in terms of his importance to, to the way that Belgium played yeah this season he's, you know, he obviously didn't start um, against young Lukaku boys was better than Mandzukic or Griezmann or players like that at the World in, Cup in terms of, in terms of a centre forward leader so I, my comparison in the France team would be Giroud rather than Griezmann who's playing a little bit deeper right. I just think as, as the guy who leads the line who sets the tempo um, you know, I, I think his movement. You think about that dummy that set up Chadley for the winner against Japan. Okay. I thought he was the most complete line-leading number nine in that tournament. I think you're very, very kind on Lukaku, who played, who by the way played wide against Brazil in the quarterfinals as well. Not even in his yeah, but no, but I mean again, but like that's you know that was a sign of him being used in a different position. But I, you, you can't rule out that as a good performance because he was being used differently. No, no, no. But I think Lukaku needs to be coached, and I think Mourinho doesn't coach anyone, and I think Anthony Martial needs to be coached, and and he's not coached either. And I know JC Lingard for me is the only one really who's who's improved since Jose Mourinho arrived there. But there's a interesting fact about. Lukaku, since the last time he scored at Old Trafford oh, yeah. in all competitions, Kylian Mbappé has won four trophies. Uh, the whole entire 2018 Formula 1 season has gone. 14 ministers have resigned uh, over Brexit. And around 92 million babies have been born worldwide. That's since the last goal that Old Trafford has seen Lukaku score there. That's an incredible wow. statistic, Jules. And that's... I, I think he, you know, he's a talented player, but there's clearly something going I wrong mean, there. There's some photos going around showing him last season and him this season, and he, you know, he Bigger. clearly has put on put a, a bit of, of muscles, weight. Yeah. Um, whether that's a, a deliberate decision from him or the club, or just you know a post World Cup summer uh, hangover, but um, it's it's obviously affecting him. But I mean, as like Tom said. You can pick out players who improve, like Luke Shaw, but then even Luke Shaw now seems to be falling back into... It's like outrunning a volcano. You can't really get away. You, you might think you are. The overall depression of Mourinho envelops everyone in the end. You think the poison cloud of gas, you know, the lava, mm. you might outpace the lava, although lava moves incredibly quickly. But also sometimes slowly. That's true. But the poison gas... Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, well, uh, Man City, whose only defeat this season was at home to Leon, met them again this week. And almost lost again, Jules. But they yeah, didn't. I thought they were outplayed again from start to finish. And yet they scored two goals and they showed a lot of reactivity after going 1-0 uh, down and then 2-0 down. But they could have been 3-0 down at half time without 
a debate and, and yeah they had a lot of the ball So what is it that Leon do and is that something that other teams can, can do? Yeah I th- I th- well I, first you need to have really good players and Leon certainly do have some wonderful especially the, the two in midfield that played on, on Tuesday night Usama Awar and, and Tanguy Ndombele who bossed that midfield like City have rarely been bossed and in the first game in the reverse fixture you had Job and Ndombele who bossed that midfield as well so I think tactically Bruno Genesio who is not a fan's favourite at Lyon uh, because of the the inconsistency they showed in the league, where they can't really turn, they they never really well, they rarely turn up against smaller teams, um, which I think that's where the frustration from some some of the Lyon fans, especially the ultras who who really don't like Genesio, comes from. Mm-hmm. So you can play that well against City, and yet the games for people who haven't seen them play against Angers or Strasbourg, it was it was the same team, the same players, and they mm-hmm. were dreadful, absolutely right. dreadful. And I think. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of those weird things about Lyon this season but over those two games against City they were they were fantastic especially on Tuesday where they deserve to win I think one of the differences that Lyon find in the Champions League is that they're able to play on the counter-attack when Lyon go and play the smaller clubs in France they're the big team so teams sit back and oblige them to, to try and pick a way through them whereas when Lyon are playing in the Champions League playing teams like City they're no longer the bigger team they've got space to run into and like you look at Maxwell Cornet who has made two starts all season both of which have come against Man City he's scored in both games and been one of the standout players but hasn't featured at all in Liga. and I think it's just because Lyon don't generally get that sort of space when they play domestically um Whereas in the Champions League they do, but yeah, you know it, it is it is curious to see a team who who have been so disappointing in so many league matches produce two such high caliber performances against Man City and with like two different tactical systems as well. I mean, it wasn't like they just completely repeated what they'd done in the first leg. There was personnel changes, there was a change of shape, uh, and they were every bit as impressive. Very nice. They're still not guaranteed their place in the last 16, though. Shakhtar's 3-2 win at Hoffenheim in the same group means that uh, Leon need to go and get, what, a draw draw or a win, is it, in Ukraine? Yeah, Shakhtar have to win to, to qualify, have to beat Leon. But the last five minutes of the game, when Hoffenheim-Shakhtar were still 2-2 and Leon were 2-1 up, it looked so great and it would have been a perfect night for them. And yet, Tyson scored late, the winner for Shakhtar, and then Aguero equalised for, for City and suddenly he went from almost a perfect night to uh, there's still a lot of work to do and with that team you never know what you're going to just just one last word on, on Awa because Pep Guardiola was so praiseful of him after the game and, I, and rightly so because he's going to be a wonderful player and I think Mikel Arteta took a few informations in the uh, in the tunnel after the game as well and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point Awa becomes very very uh, relevant on City's radar for next season maybe I do hope Leon goes through. It'd be nice to see them in the, the knockout stages. As for the rest of the news, the kind of headlines from the Tuesday and Wednesday action, well, Bayern had a really important game on Tuesday evening. It was billed, certainly in the German media, as very probably Niko Kovic's last as Bayern manager. But uh, the team responded with a 5-1 victory over their Portuguese opponents. A ribbery scoring, uh, Ian Robin with two goals. You'll never guess how he scored them as well, Duncan. Did he cut inside in his left foot? No. You read the match report, didn't you? Lewandowski also contributed to to this 5-1 victory. His 50th and 51st Champions League. Third fastest player to ever reach 50 goals in the Champions League. Who was quicker than him? Well, Leo Messi, obviously. But then a lot of people thought, assumed it was Ronaldo. But obviously he had a a slow start at United. It was actually Ruud van Nistelrooy is the fastest. Elsewhere... Roma produced the miss of the season in their clash with uh, 
Real Madrid? Or did they? Did Matt Ritchie steal that title on Monday in Newcastle's clash with Burnley? They're both absolute shockers. I, th- I think the Roma one was worse. Roma was worse. Yeah, I, in, I mean, Ritchie's is, is terrible, but firstly, he's slightly wide of the post, okay. so you perhaps give him you know a little bit of credit for that. But also, that side of the pitch at Turf Moor is clearly cursed when it comes to close-range tap-ins, because Raheem Sterling missed one from similar range and last season. And miss. he doesn't usually miss, so there's obviously something. And wasn't right. that the same goal Jimmy Traore scored an own goal in? Quite oh, possible. Be, the yeah. plot thickens. So, well, there you go. Yeah, we anyway. need some sort of de-witching of that goal. Yeah, okay. or not. Or not it's yet. quite entertaining. Changes under, uh, blasting over when presented with a, a yawning chasm of a goal mouth. Uh, both teams went through anyway. Ajax are also through to the knockout stages for the first time since 2005. They beat AK Athens 2-0 in Greece. Two goals from Dusan Tadic. Has he got more goals for the season than his former club Saints in their entirety? Yes, he has, Tom. He's got 13. They've only got 12. That's right, isn't it, Duncan? That's right, yeah. Boom. Oh, there were some ugly scenes at that game. We could hear all sorts of booms and bangs going on in the background. But then, uh, as you probably saw afterwards, Jules, uh, Molotov cocktails and flares being thrown at the at the uh, visiting supporters after apparently there'd been trouble between both sets of fans in the uh, Greek capital. The night the before the game. The, yeah. the night before. So how do you expect them to, to go in the same stadium and nothing happening? And and how you're not strengthening your security and the police there and everything to avoid those kind of scenes? when they were at it the night before in I the city centre. It wasn't me. No, no, I'm just saying, okay. I find it baffling from UEFA and from oh. from the, the Greek police or what, Athens police or whatever that they, you don't take more precautions after what happened the night before. Absolutely right. Should have held the game in Doha, shouldn't they? Imagine that. Imagine yeah. the final of what one of the biggest games ever played yep. in football in Doha. In Doha. Like 9,000 miles away from where you sh- should be playing it. All right, we'll be saluting that decision a little bit later on. But next up, excuse me, I want to talk Premier League with the North London derby. Ooh. So that result was their eighth nil-nil in a row and we've even had reports of fans falling asleep in their seats. Stuart is at the game, joins us now on the line. Stuart? Stuart? Sounds like Stuart needed Paddy Power, because with our new Same Game Multi, you can combine multiple bets from the same game, so everything is exciting. Plus, you'll get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold Same Game Multi lets you down. Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. Applies to pre-match fourfold plus Same Game Multi bets. First qualifying bet only, max free bet £10 per customer per day. Exclude shop bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, be On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. North London Derby, ooh, Sunday. Is it five past two? Yes. Now, that's a TV thing, isn't it? Mm. Well, it's a super Derby Sunday derby with Sunday. three of them. Oh, really? Back to back. So yeah. you've also got the Merseyside Derby. And the lesser-known West London Derby. OK, because Chelsea taking on Fulham. Yeah, it's the first time those yes. three fixes have happened on the same day since the week Dog Day Afternoon came out in the 1970, I'm going to say four? 75. Ach. You were but, not far, you were not far. I mean, that would be a good name for Kiss Sky like to call these days, you know, they had Red Monday and things like that. Dog yeah. Day Afternoon would be a good one. That would be a brilliant one. And there's still time, Sky, if you're listening. Woof. Good film anyway. If you didn't want to watch the football, you could watch that in the double bill with The Princess Bride. Or watch it after. Yeah, also... 
But anyway, so there's three whopping derbies, and why is it that they have to start at five minutes past then to give them time to just get them, yeah, get themselves to together? Back. Which one's first? Is it uh, Chelsea Fulham? Chelsea, Chelsea Fulham. Do you want to talk about that first, then, Tom? Yeah, we can. Because it's big Ranieri's big return to mm. his big former club. I caramba, that's going to be a big one. You'd have thought so, yes. Right. Certainly. Also, because Fulham are not a club who trouble Chelsea unduly, at least historically speaking. I think the last time they won there was Duncan. Uh, in the 60s, the only manager, the only Fulham manager to win away at Chelsea is Bedford Jezzard, which remains one of the great names in English football. Um, uh, was he their manager in was, 1963? Yeah, he was their Bedford manager. Bedford Jezzard. He then re- retired to run a pub in Hammersmith, which is good. Which pub? Um, Thatcher's Arms, I think. Really? But don't quote me. Not familiar that. with that one. OK. Uh, Chelsea have been poor, though, in the last couple of games. Have they not? Everton held them goalless. They got beaten 3-1 by Spurs at Wembley just last weekend. What did you think? Any chance of the Ranieri miracle continuing? Um, I'm not sure I'd back for them necessarily to go and win, but it does feel like it's quite a good time to be playing Chelsea. Some of that early season momentum has obviously faded um, and sort of looking at what Chelsea fans on Twitter were saying after that defeat against Spurs, it seemed that that had been coming, that as as well as uh, as Chelsea had been doing in terms of their results, that perhaps they weren't as convincing as those resu- results suggested. And and, and we, we now find ourselves sort of looking at, at some of uh, Maurizio Sarri's uh, decisions um, in a slightly different light. Uh, I mean, there's been a lot of talk about where N'Golo Conte is playing and whether he should be playing as far forward as he is and, and Sarri was quite critical of him uh, in his, his press conference yesterday before yeah. Chelsea's Europa League game and it's quite what, what rare. What was he criticising him about? Well basically he was saying that Conte was trying to do too much in the first 15 minutes of that game against Spurs mm. uh, and that he was actually getting too far forward because to you know sort of neutralise it seems that Conte has been played too far forward this season you keep seeing him getting into the box and getting on the end of crosses which we know is not what he's game is all about uh, and Sarri seemed to be suggesting that some of that was was a personal initiative from Conte that he didn't want him that far forward but also saying that he couldn't play Conte as his central midfielder because he's not good enough technically mm. um, obviously Sarri wants to play with Jorginho at the base of so, the midfield and so this is the thing yeah you have he always wants the three-man midfield with Jorginho spreading the play out from the middle of that and that's where Kante would go in most Chelsea's Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd, you'd think that one solution would be to play Jorginho alongside Conte because they're both at their best right in front of the defence mm-hmm. and then you either play Kovacic or Barkley further forward but the 4-3-3 shape is so central to the way that Sarri wants to play that he clearly won't countenance it. Well, this weekend, of course, it'll be a derby Kante. Um, so, but Duncan... <laughs> no, it's, it's very curious because, as Tom says, he's criticising for lack of positioning yet also saying I'm not going to play him in the position that he's used to and they've also just given him a, a massive new contract yeah that's a surprise yeah. isn't it and there's no way Conte is doing something that Sarri hasn't told him it's impossible he's the most diligent guy disciplined everything you tell him he will do he will never do oh stuff that I'm not doing what you say I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to try and score 20 goals a season that's, this is impossible yeah. So there's clearly either there's a lack of communication between them two or Conte doesn't really understand what he has to do, although he's a very intelligent player. So before, no one has complained about him not understanding what he was supposed to do on the pitch. It's something, and I also think that Sarri works them really, really hard and has for, since day one and they look tired to me. Well, that's the thing. They've had, only had 14 players who've started games this season, which is fewer than any other team in the Premier League. So, mm. you know, it's possible they're reaching a kind of fatigue point. Yeah. Um, but they have only lost one game. So for, for Sarri to sit down and have one-to-ones with all the players seems 
quite extreme at this stage of the season. Oh, but, oh, just very thorough man- management. Uh, Fulham did concede goals to Southampton, so you would think that probably even Kante, even perhaps Morata might be able to score against them. Yeah, there'll be an update later on the how many shots does Southampton need to reach 50 goals, and I'm afraid to say Fulham have, have rather spoiled the, uh, the progress there. Oh, right, OK. Um, Alvaro Morata, for fans of that kind of stat, has been caught offside more times this season than Bournemouth, which is a figure destined to rise, I imagine, against Ranieri's back four. Yeah. We'll see. And Hazard's apparently in doubt after picking up a knock against Spurs. We'll see. I imagine he won't be troubled by the Thursday night Europa League fixture. Chelsea, if they don't win, and you'd have to make them favourites for this, wouldn't you, Jules? Yeah, surely, yeah. But yeah. If they don't win, they'll find, they could find themselves out of the top four with Man City coming up the following weekend. Yeah, it's a tough schedule for them. And the, the Jorginho thing, I think, is fascinating because Marco Silva and Everton put two players on him and nullified pretty much what Chelsea could do. And I thought Spurs and Pochettino marked him up or you know restricted him, up, restricted Jorginho so so well as well that it looks like if Jorginho is not in a good day, the whole Chelsea team, because Hazard is going through a bad patch, hasn't scored, I think, in nine games for club and country or something like that, after the start of the season he had, and maybe because it's a post-World Cup season, even Hazard is feeling, you know, the strain of, of shorter holidays and Sarri's rhythm and everything, mm. because he doesn't look like the player he was only a few months ago. No, and, and on the subject of, of that, there is a stat, and I can't quite remember precisely what it is, but it's along the lines of that Hazard has not scored since Morata has become a regular up front, that he basically doesn't score now that Morata's occupying that area of the pitch. No, and, and the relationship between Giroud and, and Hazard, n- not just because they're, they're both French speakers, but on the pitch and off the pitch is is one of the strongest relationships that any pairs have in that Chelsea squad. Right. Um, and sounds, sounds and I find it weird cool. that because they like playing with each other so much and because Hazard is so good with Giroud in the Lincoln play and everything, mm. why Giroud still get overseed so it's much? pretty over, clear then for so Sarri, just yeah. play Kante up front and Morata at the heart of that midfield three and yeah. uh, reap the rewards. And maybe address David Luiz's form because mm. that performance against Spurs was just mm. shocking. It was. All right then. That said, Tom, Chelsea are going to win against Fulham, are they? Yeah, probably, yes. OK. So then straight after that, or no, five minutes after that one finishes about, you'll get Arsenal Spurs. Am I doing this right? Yes. OK. Spurs have been dominant in North London in the last couple of years, but they've only had one win away to the Gunners in the last 25 years, Tom Williams. Correct, yes. November 2010. Given Arsenal's current form, you know, the 17 games unbeaten, do you anticipate that changing anytime soon? I think it's quite hard to call. I mean, both teams are in form. Spurs, as we said, have won six on the bounce. Arsenal are unbeaten in 17. Um, and I think the feeling with Arsenal the whole way through this run is that has, has been that results haven't perhaps reflected the quality of their performances necessarily. But if you look at the last three matches, they've had to either come from behind to secure a point or uh, against Bournemouth last time out, uh, they went ahead, got pegged back and and then got the winner. Prior to that, you had a late Lacazette goal in that 1-1 draw with Liverpool and then a late Mkhitaryan goal slash fluke against Wolves. So there's obviously a bit of toughness to Arsenal. Um, and yeah, I find it really hard to call it. I think, it'll, I think we'll know a lot more about Arsenal after this because right. obviously we saw them against Chelsea and City in their first two matches and they lost and they weren't really at the races. And then since then they've gone on this run, but with this asterisk that 
they've not been challenged all that much. Although having said that, they did play very well in that draw against Liverpool um, yeah. and and were good value for the draw. Um, so yeah, it'll be we'll know good more test. after they played. Let's mm. let's but talk. They, they also play United next week, the following game. So back to back Spurs and United. Arsenal do. Yeah. So you will know and far then, more. Right. Okay. Far more after well this this time next week they will right. have those two huge games. Tell you when we'll really know a lot next May. Mm-hmm. Mm. Harry Kane loves scoring goals in London derbies. He's got seven in seven against Arsenal. So look out for him. Arsenal will come into the match having done a three thousand mile round trip to play Vorskla Poltava. Again, it's been moved to Kiev from Poltava because of martial law being implemented in Ukraine. But I, not many of the players who are going to be playing Tottenham on Sunday are making the trip. Is that right? Possibly only Rob Holding from the starting eleven. I would All right. Suggest. Anyway, now at a quarter past four, these games are just getting later and later. Liverpool take on Everton, and that is going to be an interesting game. Last time Everton won at Anfield, again, I asked you, do you know when, when that was? Yes, September 1999. That's very impressive, Tom. Not even the same century. Yeah, it's a long time ago now, isn't it? Not even the same millennium. Mm. Do you know what was number one then? September 99. Off the top of my head, no. Jules? No. I only ask because it's kind of ominous from Liverpool's point of view. It's uh, one of the most annoying songs ever, I would Would you say? Yeah, the blue... By Eiffel ah. 65. Mm. How does it go? Sing it. I'm blue. Oh my god. That was the that was the real Millennium Bug for me. Was it? Yeah. All oh, right. Get out of my head. Will it be blue on who, Sunday? Well, who was the last manager six? to plot a Premier League win away manager at Anfield? And what was number one when he did? Don't know, but it was Sam Allardyce. Was it? Yeah, on St George's Day, which I think is a nice touch. Yes. But that's obviously a lot more recently. That was when he was Palace manager. But yeah, Liverpool haven't lost a home game in the Premier League since the paper £5 note was phased out. So um, that's, again, quite a long time. Right, so it doesn't happen very often is what I'm drawing from all of this. However, Everton are in terrific run of form right now. Three wins and a draw in the last five, two clean sheets in a row, one of which came against Chelsea, the other against Cardiff. And they're up to six. They're up to six. But Marco Silva has a terrible away... Since since coming to England in what January seventeen, terrible terrible away record. I think seven wins in thirty one, away from home. They did get that draw at Stamford Bridge, but still. Yeah. So Liverpool to remain unbeaten, you think, Jules? Yeah, I think so. And they have to react after the defeat and the the really average performance, poor performance against PSG. Anyway. Okay. Did you and see a uh, sort of bit of last season Liverpool in that game, a bit more. Well, you'd think Cato will come in to the eleven because <laughs> he did it right when he came on on Wednesday. So. Yeah, and you'd think he'd be a good player to, you know. Right, and also there's a there's a big hole in the side because Hendo is suspended, so he can slot in there. That'd be nice. Uh, City, meanwhile, their title rivals will be hosting Bournemouth, who are having a right rotten time of it. Three straight defeats. Then after this City game, they've got Liverpool, Spurs, and Man United coming up in the month of December. Ooh, and also and Chelsea a, as well. I think. Chelsea in the League Cup quarterfinals. Mm. Kind of problems you'd like to have though. You know, you like to have as a manager the quarterfinals anyway. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm just reading their record. Their last three visits to the Etihad, Bournemouth, have ended four nil, four nil, and five one. This Saturday as well marks the three month anniversary of uh, City conceding a goal from open play in the Premier League. So they might have a little celebration on the pitch beforehand. Should do. Uh, up until about ten minutes ago, that was my favourite stat of this season. 
But then Jules's extraordinary one. Just tell us again, Jules. The Lukaku one. Yeah. The since his last goal at Old Trafford, yep. Kylian Mbappé has won four trophies. The whole Formula <laughs> One season is gone. The whole Formula One season. Yeah, it's gone. Twenty eighteen season is gone. Uh, Fourteen cabinet ministers have resigned over Brexit, and ninety two million babies have born. Not worldwide. enough, in my opinion. But no, anyway, yeah. Probably even more babies have been born since Jules last Saturday. Yes, so we can, we can top that up a bit. Right. Easily a million, maybe. Excellent. Uh, ooh, right. I tell you what. Let's um, let's take a break from the Premier League and talk about. The game of the week, that extraordinary, a game for the ages, really, Duncan, that 5-5 draw between Villa and Forest on Wednesday night. Yeah, I thought it was quite sweet as, as probably the, the two most forgotten English European Cup winners that they put on that show on a, on a night when the Champions League was trying to get everyone's attention. Um, but yeah, in, in numerical terms, it was the 35th 5-5 in English league history. Um, there aren't that many. It was the first one in the West Midlands since, obviously, the last game of Sir Alex Ferguson's reign at Manchester United. OK. Um, so, hang on, 35 in f- football, his- English football history. Has their incidents been on the increase of late? Not really. I mean, the the bulk of them come pre-war, as you'd imagine, when, play- when defending was optional. Um, although, if you're Michael Dawson, they're a bit more regular. Um, two of his last 11 league appearances have ended 5-5. Is that right? Away. So he possibly is the gateway to goals, which, as a defender, he probably doesn't want to be known as. Not want to be that. I heard uh, Dean Smith, the, the Villa manager after the game, saying, we're really disappointed him with the fifth goal. What do you mean? What about the fourth and the third and the second <laughs> well, and even the first well, that was, one? That I know they'd it was finally le- taken the lead. Now that was they'd finally gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, I understand that. But still, you were saying yeah. like, but I mean, Forest only had five shots on target in the game. Yeah. So what? yeah, they had five shots on target. Scored and with all of them. Was scored with all five. Only had eight shots overall. So I mean, in that sort of game, getting a getting a points decent. I'd yeah. Say eight, Simon yeah. Allison says, "I thought you may enjoy the fact that Cash and Lolly were both on the score sheet for Forest in that five-five draw." Extraordinary. Who was all over the score sheet was Tammy Abraham, who had four goals, had a fifth one ruled offside. Christy Harmon asked, any hope that Chelsea will bring Tammy back or that Morata will come good? Both seem as unlikely as each other. He's on loan. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... I don't think Sarri never even thought about him for, no. the, for his first team. I think they were working really hard to sign another striker, even like a, you know, a, a bigger name than Tammy Abraham, So, which I think is a shame, but he... I'm afraid I think that he will have to leave Chelsea, not just on loan, but for good if he wants. Hmm. OK. Duncan, you actually did a brief history of 5-5 draws in the English League games. I can reveal to the others, at least, that uh, there were three in the 19th century, Tom. One of them involved Ackridge and Stanley. Between 1900 and World War II, 17. The 50s and 80s, ushering in a more defensive mindset, only witnessed 10 and then five between 1990, the 38 years from 1990 onwards, five. So they're actually falling off, not increasing, I would suggest. That's probably enough about the 5-5 draw. Is there something else you want to say? Where does it leave the two teams and their ambitions? Well, I think it got Forrest into the top six. Did and, it? and Villa are in and around the uh, the top half. So, okay. Um, I mean, both teams will have hoped... A five-goal haul would get them three points, but it's, alas. Yeah. Just on the subject of Dean Smith, I mean, the, the, his tenure at Villa Park, and uh, obviously in, in conjunction with John Terry, uh, is working wonders, uh, paying dividends, a, a, any of the above. Uh, they had a, a 4-2 win over Birmingham City in the Derby on Sunday, and before that, a 3-0 win at Derby County. So. And on the other hand, Brentford's form has been dipping quite 
dramatically, hasn't he? Since well, before he left as well, but since he left too. Mm. All right then. Uh, now, in other news, Saul Campbell is the new manager of Macclesfield. Saul and the Silkmen, one of the greatest minds in football. I can't remember who described him as that. But anyway, five points adrift they are at the bottom of League Two. They did win last weekend. Their opening fixture under Seoul will be away at Exeter City. Anyone care to hazard a guess about uh, or, or a prediction about how things will pan out for Seoul Campbell at, at Macclesfield? It's, I mean, it, it's good that he's taking on this challenge. Let's let's be positive. It's it's nice that he's not, you know. He's not afraid to roll up his sleeves and muck in at the bottom end of the football league. There's no Cherry Henry, you mean? That's what you mean. The interesting thing with this sort of move is that it, a player who's always played at the top level can often find it hard to empathise with lower league footballers. I remember when Tony Adams came to Wickham in a sort of similar style move and yeah, he, he didn't really fare that well. But yeah, we'll see. And of course, when Sol Campbell signed for Notts County as a player, all right. that didn't work out all that well. So it's not put him off the, the lower leagues. All right. Although um, it did put him off Notts County pretty rapidly. It, pretty quickly, yeah. 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 Okay. Excellent. Now, uh, in other football news, as we mentioned briefly, the Copa Libertadores, it has now been decided. The second leg, with the scoreline 2-2 after the first match, the second leg, which failed to take place in Buenos Aires on successive days last weekend because of the attack on the Boca Juniors players, will now be held in Doha ahead of the Club World Cup. So I think in about a week and a half's time out there in uh, the Emirates, which I there's, think... There's, there's a lot of links between Qatar and South American football. Qatar will play in the Copa America in the summer, like Japan, they've been invited. And I think Qatar are going to sponsor the Copa Libertadores next season. Is that right? So I think it's not a surprise why they picked Doha. They just didn't pick Doha because it's sunny and warm. You know, but I think there's more than that. And, I, and again, I think there were surely better options than... Going to cut I mean, on one hand, the the problem with this game was there was just too much atmosphere. But then to take a game that is so much about its context and its tradition and stick it in the middle of a desert. But then, you know, I guess we'll get a lot of that in 2020, won't we? Yeah, but it's a World Cup. Sorry, 2022. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's different. It's a World Cup and, you know, and people have voted for it. No one has, you know, I mean, Commonwealth have, have voted for Qatar, but it's a, it's, a, it's a weirder choice even. Yeah, people vote for a lot of things, Jules. Yeah. Let's talk about Ballybrack FC. And I should, uh, you know, take the tone down a notch or two because uh, who announced that a player of theirs died on the way home from training a week ago. Other sides in the Leinster Senior League sent their condolences. There was a minute's silence across all league fixtures uh, at the weekend and... Um, Players were wearing black arm pants in support of the man's family. And then it turned out he's not dead, he's in Spain, which is different. And they just said that he was so they could get the match postponed. <laughs> I was at home yesterday playing some video games, says Fernando Nuno La Fuente, when suddenly I got a call from work. He'd just moved to Galway for a job. Uh, work told him, you're a celebrity. That's how I found out I was dead. His take on Ballybrack's version of events, he says, it's serious on their part, but I'm finding it a little funny because basically I'm not dead. Ballybrack <laughs> FC have issued a statement saying that there was a gross error of judgment on them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's clearly a bit of tradition in Ireland because remember Stephen Ireland? Stephen Ireland, Ireland. Yeah. Um, Nans. Yeah. yeah. So, a gross error of judgment doesn't really, doesn't really cover it, does a it? A grave mistake would have been better. Uh, for anyone young enough to not remember 
Duncan. What was it Stephen Ireland did? He said that one of his grandmas had died um, to get out of playing for Ireland and someone pointed out that she hadn't died. So he said, oh, no, it's the other grandma. Um, and then someone pointed out that she was also alive. Similarly breathing. Um, yeah. The big right. two, as they're known. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Anton Ferdinand and other um, grandmother false- falsehoods. Do you remember when he skipped out on West Ham saying that he had to go and visit his, I think, sick, poorly grandmother in the Isle of Wight, but somehow found himself all the way in South Carolina in a nightclub? It's an easy mistake. That, that journey is... Just uh, a long plane, yeah. Yeah. Right. There was a Wayne Rooney story with the grandmother. Oh, no. We'll move on from <laughs> that. Uh, right. So uh, that's a lot of interesting miscellany. Let's move back onto the Premier League after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. This weekend, there are loads of different Premier League games taking place at various times of day, some of them quite unusual, as we've established. Amongst those, you've got Southampton watching the goals fly in as they host Man United. That's Saturday at 5.30. Uh, There's also things like... Friday night game. Who's playing on Friday night? Cardiff Wolves, which was a very saucy game last season because Cardiff contrived to miss not one but two penalties in injury time. Um, And Neil Warnock, perhaps unsurprisingly, didn't take it very well, came out after the game and and said about uh, Nuno Espirito Santo, um, I don't give a toss what he says, I won't accept his apology um, because he didn't shake his hand. Oh yeah. Um, He said, he can please himself, I went to shake his hand and he ran off, that's what he did. If that's how they're taught in Portugal, fair enough, but not in Britain. If Espirito Santo has been pleasing himself, that would be why he didn't want to shake his hand, perhaps. Possibly, yeah. The most funny thing, maybe, is that Nuno tried, like, was literally chasing Neil Warnock on the pitch as Warnock was clapping his own, his own fans. And Warnock kept turning and telling him to F off every single time until Nuno, after three <laughs> times, was like, all right, OK, and went back. All right, then. Wolves are having a rotten run of form at the moment, and Daniel Story was explaining on Monday it's because they've got ideas above this station, effectively, that they've got all la di because all the praise and all the journos writing articles about them and, and that, and they need to knuckle down a bit because uh, Cardiff, that's going to be a tough game, a tough one. Yeah, they they Portuguese things right up against um, Huddersfield Wolves. Six, mm. six Portuguese players in the starting eleven, which is apparently the most oh. um, non-British nationality players in an English top-flight starting eleven since a Newcastle game when they had yeah. all the French players yes, a few years back. Yeah. I'm not saying that that is... Not... If you exclude French people, which, Jules, I would never do, but um, it was the most non-British... Uh, number of players in a starting eleven in Premier League history. Is that yeah. right? I wonder what's been the most international lineup we've ever had on the Totally Football Show. One to think about. Obviously, we've got a Welshman and a French. Alvaro Romero once. Yes. That's one French, one Spanish, and who was the third one? I literally can't remember. But we'll move on anyway to interesting things to talk about. But by like, the way, oh, all those Portuguese players had obviously have the same agent. Right. No. Yeah. That's that's maybe why they're there, or maybe not. Eric Hall. Yes. <laughs> So, all right, that was an exciting game. Would you like to nominate an exciting game from this weekend that you're really looking forward to, Tom? That we've not already discussed. Yeah, ideally, yeah. Um, I mean, Southampton Man United. Right. Um, I've got a question the here Mark from Hughes Derby. Andy Williams. Just how bad is it looking for Southampton United, Arsenal, Spurs, Man City and Chelsea? All to play between now and January 2nd. Our strikers can't score goals and our defenders can't well defend. As a result, Southampton currently in the bottom three. Uh, it'll be a goal-tastic afternoon or early evening 
at St Mary's as they host Man United. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look good for Southampton and there's been quite a lot of um, focus on Mark Hughes's abysmal win ratio as a Premier League manager in recent days. I think the one crumb of comfort for Southampton is that even though they keep losing, they do create a lot of chances. Um, so they lost at Fulham last weekend, but they had... 19 attempts at goal to Fulham's 10 mm. and 8 how on many, target to Fulham's how 5. More than United. They create more than United. Yeah, no? they, yeah. Ridiculously, Southampton had the third most shots of any team in the Premier mm. League more this shots, season, yeah. which is silly because they've only scored uh, 10 goals. All right, so Duncan, you promised us an update on... Yeah, the exciting uh, thing that everyone's talking about. So basically, you're saying how many shots would it take for them to get 50 goals in a season? Yeah. And the, is that a reasonable amount to expect them to 50 score? 50 for 50? Southampton, given they've got... a particularly high wage bill um, okay, relative 50 goals. Yeah, 50 seems fair so a few weeks ago we, we were aghast to learn it was over a thousand All right. but they've scored uh, four goals in their last three games which has brought it down to 920 Okay. Um, still wildly unrealistic but you know they're heading slightly in the right direction but I mean this game is just reeking of narrative isn't it um, th- since Alex Ferguson retired mm-hmm. the two teams with the most goalless draws are Southampton with 22 and Manchester United with 20. So it could go that way. Will it be a goalless draw, do you think? Possibly. Can I hope it is now? Mm. Yeah, me too. Just see what happens. Mm. And were it to be a, a point at home to Man United, how would that leave Sparky Hughes, the ironically titled increase? Well, I, I, it's very Sparky. rare for a club to sack a manager when there's a full set of midweek Premier League games, Ooh. purely for logistical reasons. Yeah, so I think fair. I would say he's got at least another week. But Paulo Sousa's name has been mentioned more there and more as well. and more, yeah. Because he's busy tacking himself around all over Europe. He also announced, kind of in passing, that he'd quite like to take over at Roma. So, yeah. yeah. But Saints might uh, might prove more attractive. I mean, financially, I don't know. Anyway, uh, super. Uh, also, go on, Jules, what's, getting, what's lighting your candle? I'm, because I'm, a for, I'm the only uh, foreigner here, I would go, not Premier League, I would go Juventus. Travelling to Fiorentina on Saturday okay, night, yeah. Roma into Milan on Sunday. Yeah, There's an interesting Lyon in, in Ligue 1, fourth against second. If you enjoyed Lyon's performance against Man City, you can see them in action again this weekend yeah. at Lille. Yeah, and, and in MLS as well, the Oof. semi-finals on Friday. We'll talk about that good. later on with our friend Kobe Jones. Yeah. Uh, right, OK. In the Premier League, can I trouble you for one? I'll, I'll just throw one at you, because Newcastle, who played a game since we last spoke... Monday, when, as we mentioned earlier, they beat Burnley 2-1, uh, which has moved them all the way up to 13th. Have some of that. Is that three wins in a row? Yeah, now? three mm. wins in a row in the league. Is it going to be four wins. in a row as they host West Ham at Fortress St James's? Well, quite conceivably. I mean, and they're beating decent teams as well. I mean, those three wins, Watford, Bournemouth and, OK, Burnley are struggling a bit, but, um, you know, they're a decent team on their day. And it, it sort of feels, I, mean, I can't remember exactly when it happened, but there was a moment last season when you thought, ah, Benitez has sort of figured out how yeah. to get results and perhaps it's happened a little bit earlier this season. Because, um, yeah, suddenly they look, they look pretty good. West Ham, have they been on a three-game winning streak? No, they have not. They've had one win in their last seven. And there's some suggestion that Arnautovic is going to be out. He went off against uh, Man City. They had that terrible start and then things were much better and then he's bad again. So mm. Mm. We talked about the Newcastle fans uh, paying tribute incorrectly to Mirandini with sombreros, but they could bring them back for Chikorito in that an would authentic nice. manner, which would be good. Hmm. If you have those sombreros lying around somewhere, magpies, dust them off for this weekend's game. Burnley's next destination after that game will be Sellers Park. Where I fancy Crystal Palace for a rare win. 
Yeah, surely. I mean, they're such a good team. No, uh, but Jules, they did. You, you probably didn't catch their performance at Old Trafford where they deserved three points. Yes, but they didn't. They, they got only one, didn't they? All right, they yeah. are only one point above the bottom three. Where you say you maintain, you assert they're going to be come the end of the season. But I think three fat points could be heading their way in this fixture. And if you're struggling for goals, the team that you want to play is Burnley who have let in 27 goals already this season. Last season, it took them until the last day of March before they conceded that many goals. 27 goals. 27 goals. Well, great great start. Thanks, mate. Thanks. All right. Duncan, is your hand in the air because you don't care or because you do? Both. All right. Nice. Uh, ooh, there's two more games we haven't even touched on yet. You thought the fun was over. It's not, listener. As we bring you Huddersfield Brighton, resurgent Huddersfield, I should say. They've got seven points from their last nine, scoring goals for fun. Four in their last three. Uh, yep, they're taking on Brighton. And Leicester up against Watford. Javi Gracia has just signed a new four and a half year deal. There you go. It's the ultimate mid table battle, that one. Leicester with a plus one goal difference, uh, right. and Watford with zero. They're in ninth and tenth place. Um, only five teams have ever finished a Premier League season with zero in goal difference. Um, I think for these two, that probably is the the big chase for the Your rest of the season. Your niches have niches, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's from the deepest recesses of <laughs> of one of those. Uh, right, excellent. Okay, that's Leicester, Watford, and Huddersfield, Brighton. That's a tough trip for the uh, Seagulls. Yeah, but it's, it's it's another opportunity to see to watch Glenn Murray play. And I think any young striker or not young striker mm. should watch him because it's, it's in the form of his life and it's, it's just wonderful to watch him. Yeah, I mean, he really, really is in the form of his life. I mean, it's not a very sustainable approach relying on a, a striker that age, but he is... I mean, if you look at XG for a team and then you look at players who are performing above that, so basically having the best chances, the biggest gap between teams and players is Brighton and Glenn Murray. So he is... The biggest gap... Between the team's average XG per shot... What you would expect them to score and how much and they actually score. score. And then in a personal player's XG per shot, the biggest gap between the general team and a single player... Oh, I see, right. So in terms of... It's, it's him or nothing. Yeah, yeah, essentially. Right. It's not easy, is it, Tom? And he keeps scoring as well with that pressure on him, knowing that if he doesn't score, they won't score either. Yeah. Doesn't seem to feel the pressure, does he, Glenn Murray? No, Except I was talking... When it's, it's a tax return. He's fitter... Physically, he worked... <laughs> but then, I've got to be frank... You know, I feel his pain on that front. You could do a tax podcast, you know, something like that. Yeah, I'm sure that would work. No one has done it. Do you know what? I would forget to do it. Totally tax advice. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Um, All right. Well, that's that's the Premier League, quite frankly. Uh, Jules, you've gone and teased us with talk of some fancy continental footballing fair that awaits us in the next couple of days. You're quite right. Fiorentina Juve, one of the great rivalries, at least from... Fiorentina's point of view, Juve affect to not care so much about yeah, it, like, but they do. Their yeah. their fans are really, they, they do care about that. And it's had some classic performances over the years, uh, and, and one of the all time great goals in, in particular. Yeah, and obviously Duncan. the whole Roberto Baggio oh, signing. Course, I don't yeah. want to go. I go. I've got a scarf on. Yeah, when he comes back. Yeah, when he comes back, refuses to take the when he, he signs for Juve. You know the story, Tom comes back to Florence the next season, won't take a penalty against his old side, and then puts on a Fiorentina scarf as he Incredible. leaves the field. Incredible. Got to salute that. Hey, yeah. You know what? We did a whole podcast about yes, that rivalry called Golazzo. Done one this week as well, and it's all about how the world's most expensive footballer came to be spread out on a highway in Turin with his Porsche in flames 
crumpled against the central um, reservation. Thank you. And what happened to him next and before? Anyway, have a listen. Milan taking on Parma Sunday morning for fans of teams that used to be a whole lot better in the 90s. Roma are up against Inter on Sunday night. That's usually a a special game as well. In France, Jules, you mentioned Lille-Lyon. Paris Saint-Germain who have won all 14 games so far. Who's who's next up for them? Bordeaux, away on Sunday evening. Oh, in Bordeaux? In Bordeaux, yeah. Bordeaux, not in really good form and playing Europa League where okay. they're already out. I hope they've got Thursday the medics well. on standby then in... Uh, yes. In L'Aquitaine. In L'Aquitaine, yeah. Okay, good. And uh, and what's uh, what, what's Thierry Henry's Monaco doing? Montpellier, which is a tough game because Montpellier are... are doing really well this season they're really hard to break right. down and they, they have two uh, goal scorers in, La, in Laborde and Delors and Delors who are doing really well up front so it'll be a tough game for Thierry and his youngsters again what's his name again? Delors and Laborde Delors so Thierry Henry I thought Delors oh yeah laying, laying down, down Delors yeah, yeah, right alright in Spain possibly the stand-up fixture is the top of the table clash you weren't expecting between Sevilla and Alaves mm, curiosity While in Major League Soccer, Jules, you're quite right. It is the second leg of the conference finals where New York Red Bulls need to overturn the 3-0 deficit from the first leg. They're going to be at home to Atlanta. Sporting Kansas City and Portland Timbers pick up where they left off after a 0-0 draw in their first games. Hear a little bit more about that. Let's usher in TFS American Edition and Kobe Jones. Well, as we're looking at this right now, that that's, uh, everything seems to be tossed up in the air. For the East, I am thinking after that first result that we're going to have Atlanta United be able to hold on. Uh, I just think they're, that their offense is set too powerful for Red Bulls to be able to handle because that back line of Red Bulls tends to make mistakes. They'll sit back and they'll counter. As for the West... I think Sporting Kansas City, regardless of how Portland likes to sit back and counter Diego Valeri, I think Sporting Kansas City has the total team. They have the total package from offense to defense, and they have uh, quite a bit of experience, I think, in that back line that I think that they'll be able to hold off anything that Portland can do at home. And Portland doesn't have the advantage of that turf field. They're playing at home, the Blue Hell in Kansas City on regular grass. So I think they'll be on the better side. And overall, um, Regardless, it will be played in the East. So I think if Atlanta does go through, I got to go off of that atmosphere. That's just incredible. I think that Atlanta will be able to find a way, you know, to win. And I think it will be the perfect send-off for players like Almaron and Tata Martino. Thanks, Kobe. Well, there'll be more of that on the TFS American edition, which should be up Friday, just in time for those second legs. Uh, let's now uh, hear from Paddy Power, producer Ben, speaking to them with some odds on some of this weekend's Premier League fixtures. Thank you very much, Jimbo. You still there, listener? Because I've got Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start with the European Cup. Is the team from Manchester going to win the Champions League this season? Well, I think you might be on something with a team from the city of Manchester, but you might as well just say... Manchester City. They're the 7-2 favourites to win the Champions League now. They're ahead of the likes of Barca, Juve and PSG. United are 40-1, 11th in the betting, and behind Liverpool, who aren't even through yet. That says a lot. On to the Premier League then, and it's Derby Day on Sunday. Let's start in North London. Arsenal versus Tottenham. Give us the overall for this. 
Yeah, it should be a good one. One of the tightest North London derbies in terms of the betting, at least, for years. Arsenal were just about the favourites here. They're 7-5. to five. Tottenham are 17-10, to 10, and it's 5-2 to two for the draw. But flip a coin here. I wonder if uh, Arsenal's Europa League exploits might play a factor. And as for the money back, it's a money back as a free bet if Arsenal win. And that applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers, correct score, what odds paddy markets, max refund £10, TNCs apply. Over to the northwest then and the Merseyside derby. Liverpool having a really bad week of it in Europe, but presumably they're still pretty well equipped to do things against Everton. You're right, that European defeat has had an impact on the betting here for Liverpool. They've slipped to 4-11, to so still the heavy odds on favourites, but they were a lot shorter earlier in the week. Everton, though, 7-1, to a long price for a result. The draw, 7-2. to As for the first goal scorer, we're pretty sure it's going to be from the team in red. Salah, Mane, Firmino, Shaqiri, all top the bet in there. Richarlison is the most likely Everton player, we think, to open the scoring at 10-1. to And finally, back to London, to West London. Claudia Ranieri's return to Stamford Bridge. Chelsea versus Fulham. What's going to happen here? In my heart, Ranieri wins this weekend at Chelsea. In the betting, he does not. The Blues are 1-7 to seven to get the victory against Fulham, who are a massive 14-1 to one to win a game of football. Even the draw looks unlikely at 13-2, to two, but Ranieri's made miracles happen before and he's made a mug of the bookies before. Maybe it will happen again this weekend. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, of course. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. So, Duncan... What you, you're gazing intently at your laptop. What are you researching? Just looking at some words. Just looking at stats I can see over his shoulder. It's just what pages, words are you looking pages at? Pages and pages of stats. Mm. I was just looking to see if I had anything left to say, but I think we've covered it. There you go. Tom, is there anything left in your word tank? No. No, I'm, I'm spent. All right. Have we scraped the bottom of your barrel, Julian Laurent? Yeah, I don't think I've got... I was looking, but I don't think I've got anything, anything left either. It's we've been, left everything on the pitch. Yeah. That's extraordinary. What, where are you going to go this weekend? Are you going to the Arsenal yeah, Spurs, Spurs game? Spurs game on Sunday, yeah. That's going to be huge, isn't it? That's going to be great. And there'll be a proper atmosphere for that as well. It'll be fantastic, yeah. Excellent. Tom, where does your, where does your uh, short-term destiny take you? I'm going to Talk Sport on Sunday morning for the press pass on Talk Sport 2. Who will you do that with? Uh, I don't actually know. Ian Stafford is the <laughs> oh, presenter. So um, I did so that once like, on Sunday night. If you like they listening said... to football journalists hmm. pretend to know things about rugby and boxing okay. and the like then tune in right if you like watching people looking very very cold and pretending to know something when they talk about football then why not tune in to BT Sport on Saturday evening when Duncan I will be hosting coverage of the FA Cup second round game between Wrexham and Newport County which is of course an all Welsh affair yeah my guess will be a I believe a Newport County player and the former Wrexham manager, Dean Saunders, who will both be the subject of much ill Chat. will from the, uh, the... I don't think he's very popular with his former club. No. And it's meant to be quite a sizzling fixture, that one. Will North, you be North outside? East. Have you checked the weather forecast? Oh, it's going to be cold. That much is clear. I once caddied unsuccessfully for Dean Saunders at a golf pro-am in it, Conway, North Wales. He was unsuccessful or you were? I was unsuccessful. And I were was you caddying for a living at the worst. time? No, no. Um, I just tagged along okay. to help out and uh, disappointed him quite profoundly. Did he oh, tell right. you? He didn't need to. We, we basically stopped talking after about seven holes. Because <laughs> well, all the other caddies were like proper caddies and they were able to offer tips on you know shot distance and okay. club selection. I, I was just there to 
try and become Dean Saunders' mate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I dropped Club his, selection, uh, of course, has been an issue, not just in that. Well, yeah. indeed. I, I dropped his, his golf bag in a puddle at one point and... Uh, that that was basically the end of it. That, that consummated the end of our... A story I will be certain to bring up when I see Dean on Saturday. Uh, do join me to see what effect that uh, provokes uh, on Saturday evening at 8 o'clock. So I think we're on the air from 7.45. I don't know why I keep going on, but you have no intention of watching this. Listen, I'll let you get on. Enjoy your weekend, whatever it brings. Duncan, uh, Tom and Julianne, thank you so much for being with us today. Listener, we'll be back on Monday when I think we've got Michael Cox back in alongside Daniel Story and Carl Anker so do make sure you join us for that for now cheerio you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and be sure to check out our other football shows on Apple Podcasts Spotify Audio Boom and everywhere else you get your audio on demand Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.